crisis can be negative. And at the same time, it can be an opportunity. It could change our processes. It could allow us to step up and be a leader in an industry. Leading with inspiration is generally a good approach. However, if you only give inspiration, they often think it's fluff. And so having some of the detail to build confidence is important. Welcome to Think Deeply, Speak Simply. Brought to you by Presentium, a show about the art and science of communicating ideas and how everyday leaders unlock their careers with great communication. And now here's your host, Jay Rook. Communicating under pressure can be one of the biggest challenges faced by business leaders. When we are tasked with conveying jarring news, or worse yet, when we find ourselves reacting to situations, it calls for a delicate balance of expressing emotion and choosing the right words. As today's guests point out, the rules of communication often change when we engage in crisis communication. Suddenly, all eyes are on us, and the pressure of crisis creates an opportunity to own the narrative, stand as a leader, and forge a path forward. So how do we leverage communication to define that moment? Today, we are joined by Sue Geyer, a member of the Wharton faculty, where she teaches courses on crisis communication and communicating under pressure. Sue will share her thoughts on how crisis communication and crisis management go hand in hand, as well as her CARE acronym for Shaping Content Strategy. She'll be followed by Lubab Sheet Davis, Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at Lamb Research Corporation. Lubab will guide us through her process of creating a communication vision and a crisis team before challenges occur, and how to make our messaging relevant to our audience. With that, let's hear from our guest. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jay. So glad to be here. Absolutely. We're honored to have you. So you're uh, coaching executives around communication via your consulting practice, and you also are a faculty member at the Wharton School. Tell us about your passion for communication. So my passion for communication probably started when I was 12 when I learned sign language. And it was a way of being able to, while in class, communicate with another classmate across the room without getting caught. So that's where it started. My undergrad degree is in a teacher of the speech and hearing impaired. And then I had minors in gerontology, psychology, and business. Then I did two master's degrees, one in speech pathology, and then one on the audiology side. So listening skills as well. And then I did doctoral work in adult communication and neuropsych. So I have done communication from all aspects my entire career. In your private practice, tell us a little bit around how you work with your clients. I think there's a lot of folks out there that have never worked with an executive communications coach before and don't know what that looks like behind the scenes. Oh, okay. So there's several different ways. So sometimes a PR firm will bring me in when there is a crisis situation. So that's sometimes, or I'm really good at crafting messages, brand stories, being able to take a message and be able to have somebody talk about. Uh, Recently, a director of a nonprofit who had to go out and do a lot of fundraising. Now, nonprofits are all about giving. They don't often like to ask for money, but it's critical to their success. So being able to craft a story so they could do that. I'm also brought in when leaders want to communicate at conferences or to their board meetings or to their their staff. Am I a better communicator? So I'm seen as a better leader. 
I'm also brought in by startups for investor pitches. There's a lot that goes into that mindset-wise. That's where the my background as a board-certified coach helps, but also the communication piece. And lastly, just leadership, teamwork, being able to have effective teams and also help everyone within your, your organization be able to communicate effectively. And what I love about what you're saying is, you know, they're hiring you for the communication aspect, but it sounds like what you're doing, again, is putting on those really keen listening ears and synergizing and synthesizing those puzzle pieces so that they can then articulate and enunciate and communicate that external message more effectively. Absolutely. I think that leaders also don't think about their personal brand. That's become more of an area that I'm working in. I think that people are becoming more aware of is Mm -hmm. how am I being seen in my organization at all levels? And so being communication is critical to your personal brand within an organization and to your career success. One of the things that I love when I work with people around their messages or their personal brand is listening to how they communicate who they are. And then what I can do is oftentimes people take four or five minutes to do that is be able to put it in a nutshell mm-hmm. in under 45 seconds. And people go, wow, yes. do I really sound that good? And I go, they go, wow, you, you told me about me better than I know myself. And so being able to take that piece of it. And it's also, I have this care model and A is for authenticity. So it's right to what you speak about showing up in integrity, but authentically you, and we just elevate it so that you're more effective. Love that. And yeah, for me, that's the difference between just speaking the words and actually infusing the energy into the messaging. And it just completely changes how it's received by the audience. Absolutely. If we go back to Aristotle thousands of years ago, you know, his pathos, you know, it's still, so Aristotle was the first one when we talk about listener who said the audience is important. You have, you can talk, and there's a speaker's corner still in, I guess, in London that people speak on. But you don't just speak to speak. You speak to impact an audience. Yes. And so there's a credibility. I'll just, I'm going to geek out for a second. There's Please. ethos, logos, and pathos. So ethos is establishing that trust and credibility. Logos is, what did you say? Does it make sense? And then pathos is that, are you connected? And are you bringing the person in to be connected to what you're talking about? Beautiful. Sorry. Yeah. There you go. There's my no, geek out. <laughs> that, that's why we're having you on today. It's for this, this singular focus and passion that you have on the discipline. And actually speaking of which, you know, so there's scores of different disciplines we could focus on in our pursuit of professional development. You had talked about how career success can be connected to communication. Can you make the case for why communication would be one of the most important disciplines that one could focus on in their pursuit of professional development? Oh my goodness, yes. And interestingly, because I have alumni, I'm, I started in 2010, and I have alumni who reach out and say communication has been this class or the classes I took with you have been the most effective. Beautiful. If you want to have influence, which most leaders do, and make an impact, you need to be able to communicate effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, I have a quote from Lee Iacocca that I love. You know, you can have brilliant ideas, but if you can't get them across, your ideas won't get you anywhere. Love so that. that really is a big thing is that if you want to have influence and impact, you need to communicate. And it's a, again, it goes back to that two-way dialogue mm-hmm. and being able to understand and create relationships so things get done. Right. 
so that people buy into a mission of an organization so that teams work well together. I just think it's the glue that holds everything together. A million percent. And I think one of the ones that most goes unnoticed. And so it's almost like we're shadow boxing as we try and problem solve for that void going on because most leaders don't know to look at this aspect of it. So how about this? In your article, Goldilocks and the Three Leaders, How to Communicate Just Right in a Crisis, you provide some original insights into the communication challenges that arise when we throw a crisis into the mix. And I'm curious, how do you personally define a crisis? So interesting, I'll go back to healthcare. So crisis originally was defined as the turning point, good or bad, of a disease process or fever. So interestingly, because the reason I bring that up is that it's changed and most people think of crisis as a negative. Whereas crisis is something that disrupts the normal, my definition is the normal way we operate or do things. Mm -hmm. Now that can be negative. And at the same time, it can be an opportunity. It could change our processes. It could allow us to step up and be a leader in an industry. So it really depends upon the situation and also how we reflect upon what the crisis is. But it always needs to have some type of attention paid to it because it is a disruptor. Yes. Definitely. And when that disruption goes on, I feel like one of the fundamental characteristics about emergencies or crises is, is how rules change. And so when we are in a crisis situation, how do the rules change as it relates to communication? So some of the different rules, the one rule is that the audiences expand. Oftentimes when we're in communication, it might be a one-on-one or we might be communicating to our team, so one-to-many, but it's, it's a smaller thing. So when we're in a crisis situation, we sometimes have audiences that we, we need to consider more audiences. Mm-hmm. We might have consumers and so customers or clients. We might have regulators that might be looking. If we are a larger company who have shareholders, we might forget that we have employees are an audience that we need to consider. So I think when there's a crisis situation, we need to consider more audiences. Media has also changed how we have to consider and social media, especially. So social media has changed how quickly companies or organizations need to respond when something happens. It used to be, there used to be this clock, you know, you had this X amount of time before you had to respond. You called a public conference, press conference, or you went on the morning news channels. You had that much time. Now you have to consider what channels am I going to communicate through? Am I going to get on Twitter and you know, put out a message, which is often the case. Am I going to respond earlier? And generally you have to respond earlier now, even if you don't have enough information. And that transparency needs to come out. And this is the information we have, and we're going to continue to come back. So there's more audiences to consider. There could be more buttons pressed. Again, how do I feel about this situation? And that's where some of the rules of communication. And back to media, you never want the media to define the narrative for you. And if you don't respond, they will. Crisis management and crisis communication really go hand in hand. I'm not going to talk about crisis management, but effective communication helps you manage the crisis. But do you have a team together who trust each other, who can have those difficult conversations when a crisis comes? So they are prepared to come together. They've already had a relationship. They can have the hard conversations. Have you determined who's going to be your spokesperson? Mm -hmm. 
And then how do you craft specific key talking points that allow you to communicate your message effectively? Can you talk a little bit more about your Goldilocks framework for effective communication during a crisis? How do I want to show up? Am I just being that directive? That was the too hot. Yep. That too hot leader. That if I am also, it also starts with, and we, you mentioned this earlier, is going back to how do I feel about the situation that's going at hand? Mm-hmm. Understanding what's me first. Taking that self, taking those moments and self-reflect and say, am I anxious about this? Am I angry about this? And then being able to separate that from when you step up to the leader table, you know, you want to show, but not the anger emotions, that catabolic where you're blaming everyone else Mm -hmm. and you are going off the handle and you're essentially being very external. The other piece is the leader that says, okay, I have to be devoid of emotion. And so they go up, they give very little information. It leaves people really curious and uneasy. So when a listener is seeing a leader that is devoid of emotion, if they have emotions, then they don't feel like it's okay to, to have them. Mm-hmm. And they, they are questioning their own reality almost. Yes. Wait, if they're not experienced, like this is a major deal or this can be a major deal depending upon the, the situation. Let, let's call it that. And why are they dis, that disconnected? I have a care model uh, that I spoke to before, and that's that it goes through the C is clarity. Mm-hmm. So am I being clear in my message? Yep. So as I'm talking, and that is usually concise, comprehensive, can I tell everything I know about this situation? That A is that authenticity, integrity, showing up as myself, truth, telling truth. Uh, you know, I do, I am of the mindset, tell the truth. And then R is relevance, making it relevant to what the audience cares about. And as speakers, it goes back to that listening, who's listening to what I'm saying? What do they care about? Mm-hmm. How am I responding to what they care about? And then E is in engagement. So what I'm saying, if it's relevant to them, what am I asking? What's that call to action for my audience? I always say that once you've persuaded someone, they want to do something and you really let someone down. If you don't give them something to do, even right. if it's be part of, share with, give money, whatever it is, yes, it's really doing a disservice when somebody is like, yes, I want to be part of it. And you don't give them something to be part of. Right. So I ask this question of all of our guests, is great business communication an art or a science or both and why? <laughs> Jay, that's such a big question. I know, right? I you think it's a whole both. episode. So, you know, yeah. So as someone who has studied communication science, there's a structure. Mm-hmm. There are processes to communication. So it's definitely a science. There is components that you can learn and processes But then there's the art in how do you craft your experiences? I think the art of it comes in the way you deliver. The art comes in how you weave your stories. The art comes in understanding the pieces we've talked about and and showing up with care. And so there are structures, there are processes. So that's why it is a science. And then it's an art in terms of how everybody takes those to deliver every message every day. Yes. Love it. Thank you. 
And a uh, final question for today, uh, what's one piece of advice you have for aspiring business leaders to improve their communication? First, craft your communication goals as key messages stated in 14 words or fewer. Ooh. Concise. That's a challenge for everyone. I'm picturing everybody freezing right now around, I can't reduce this to 14 words. So that's a suism. I have to explain that a little bit, Jay. Sorry. So one of the things and one of the things that is why I craft key messages so well is I can get everything down to about the 14, sometimes 15, 16 words. Yeah. That means I know what's most important. Here's the kernel. And then every presentation, everything can expand upon that. Every message point then goes through that filter. But oftentimes people don't have key messages Mm -hmm. and they talk about topics or that if somebody gives me a key message that's a paragraph long, they haven't gotten it down to what's the real core that you want people to walk away with. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time and insights on all things related to effective communication and particularly as it relates to uh, communicating during a crisis. So thank you for your time and wisdom today. Well, thank you, Jay, for having me here. It's been really fun talking about it. So thank you. Before we move on to our next guest, let's hear from our amazing sponsor, Presentium. Do you spend way too much time creating presentations at work? Do you hate the hassle of creating polished presentations for work? If so, I've got an opportunity for you to reclaim your time, reduce your stress, and make your ideas shine. Think Deeply, Speak Simply is brought to you by Presentium. Presentium makes overnight presentations for enterprise customers at a fraction of the cost of design firms and agencies. They have made over 1 million slides and are trusted by thousands of enterprise customers. It is super easy to use. Just email Presentium a rough draft of your slides by 5.30 p.m. and you'll receive a beautifully crafted presentation in your inbox by 9.30 the next morning. Put Zen in your presentations, reclaim your time, and let your ideas shine. To learn more, visit Presentium.com. That's P-R-E-Z-E-N-T-I-U-M.com. And now back to the show. And we are now joined by Lubab Sheet Davis, VP of Strategy and Innovation at LAM Research. Lubab, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. I'm delighted to be with you. As are we. Could you tell us uh, a little bit about your role at LAM Research? Sure. So I lead strategy and innovation. It probably helps if I tell you a little bit about LAM because unfortunately, we're not as well known as we probably should be. So LAM Research is a $12 billion semiconductor equipment company. So we're a business-to-business enterprise, and we sell super sophisticated equipment that's used to make semiconductors. Mm -hmm. And those are the heart of essentially anything electronics. And Really, what our company has done and our industry has done over the years is make electronics available to everyone. So we've enabled what many have heard of as Moore's Law, which is increasing performance while decreasing cost. And that's allowed electronics to go from being a luxury item to an essential thing, right? And particularly with the pandemic, I mean, imagine if electronics weren't as widely available as they are. Absolutely. We still have work to do, right? Not everybody has what they need, but certainly a lot better than it was 10 or 20 years ago. And then my role, I joined LAM 14 years ago. I started in product marketing, moved to strategic development, so M&A, corporate venture, and then about 
eight years ago, after a significant merger with a peer company, Novellus, I moved into the strategy and innovation role in the office of the CTO. So I partner very closely with the CTO on the technology vision. And then I have a small team that manages a portfolio of internal and open innovation programs. Fascinating. So I was doing a little research on this, and it seems as though much of your success is dependent on co-creating and relaying the vision of the CTO across the organization. And as you do that, could you talk a little bit about how you distill that message from one to then many? Sure. Yeah, the, you know, it depends on the CTO in part. And so Rick Gacho is my second CTO, and he couldn't have been more different or he couldn't be more different than his predecessor. So when Rick took over as CTO three years ago, the scope of the CTO office increased by an order of magnitude because he's all about big impact, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing we did was we partnered on developing his technology vision for the company. And I'm really fortunate to have a great partnership with him. It's really built on mutual trust and respect, which is one of our core values, but it's a real value. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's lots of corporate values out there, but some of them stick more than others. And so, you know, and Rick is a a PhD physicist, right? So his tech vision was not simple. And so we had to distill this tech vision, you know, which was kind of five very dense PowerPoint slides into something that people could understand. And so we came up with a formula. It was a like a chemical formula to, you know, get the tech community's attention. And it's essentially accelerate innovation plus discovering together equals realize opportunity. And so that's kind of been uh, the way we've distilled this you know, very complex thing down to at least start getting people to think about innovation, collaboration for opportunity for our company and our customers. And as you're describing this accelerated, uh, high-tech, innovative environment, there's so much dynamism going on there and then constant change. And so what are some of the challenges in communicating and when you're in an environment where there is that constant change? You know, I think that is... I mean, that's kind of the fun part, really. But I think the key is setting people up for what will change, right? So our tech vision has not changed, but many of the programs underneath it, you know, have evolved, right? We're changing all the time. And so setting that expectation of where the change is going to happen, I think, helps. And then I guess we don't struggle so much with the change itself, because we've sort of set that expectation, it's keeping people's attention. That's really hard, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we always try to do is think about, well, why should they care about this change? What does it mean to them? And so if we can really make it personal, you know, then that helps to keep attention. Certainly. And so when you're describing, you know, this very fast-moving innovation, how does communication for you influence innovation? So I think communication influences uh, culture and culture influences innovation. So I'll give you an example. This is something that literally just happened this week. Instead of someone saying, I'm supportive, they said, I'm not opposed. Mm. So imagine if, you know, young engineer has an idea and they're pitching it 
And the leadership says, I'm not opposed to that. As opposed to, oh, that's a great idea. I'm supportive, but I want you to think about this, right? So in one, it's nurturing and uplifting. Mm -hmm. In the other, you're sort of feeding insecurity, Yeah. right? right? So that is the power of communication on innovation. It's really about making people feel safe. Great example there. And almost by definition, if someone is doing innovative work, they're putting themselves out there a little bit, operating outside of the norms. And like you said, if you shut that down, then you shut down the culture of innovation. And as you're talking about this, I'm not opposed. I I can't stop uh, laughing in my head thinking about somebody proposing to another for a marriage and uh, the the partner saying, well, I'm I'm not opposed. Oh, dear. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Lou Bob, how about this? Uh, in, in high stakes communication, do you, as, especially as we're talking about some of these larger communication uh, relays, do you focus more on relaying the vision and the inspiration or more the details and the how? So I guess it depends on what you describe as a high stake communication. But in general, I think very few people have too much inspiration. Right. And so I think leading with inspiration is generally a good approach. Mm-hmm. However, depending on the audience, and we experience this all the time because it's a super technical audience, they're very data driven. Mm-hmm. If you only give inspiration, they often think it's fluff. And yeah. so having some of the detail to build confidence that this vision and inspiration is real and here's how we're going to achieve it is important. So, mm-hmm. you know, a balance is always good. Are there any instances that come to mind when you've had to communicate under pressure? And, and if so, what were some of the learnings? Always think about people's heads and people's hearts, Mm -hmm. right? So the inspiration is the heart and the kind of rational data-driven is the head. And if you're communicating bad information, unpleasant information, it's typically, my experience is it's better to not be emotional, right? So get it out there, be honest and transparent, but don't use emotional words. When you're communicating really good information, you know, then it's kind of free reign. You can use the emotional words and and really kind of appeal more to the heart than the head. Put yourself in the audience shoes, right? So how do I want to be communicated? If, you know, how is it going to affect me? How might we put the audience at ease, especially in those high stakes communications? Thank you. One of the questions that we ask of all of our guests is, do you believe that good communication is more of an art or a science or both and why? So I definitely believe it is both. Mm-hmm. And I kind of been sounding like a broken record because of, right, our heads and our hearts. Yes. And so the science is more the head and the art is more the heart. And people appeal to both. I mean, yes. we are human mm-hmm. and um, depending on you know, again, the situation and what you think the audience wants to hear and what you want to ask of them, you can ratchet up one one, or ratchet down the other. In closing, Lubab, what advice do you have for business leaders that want to improve their ability to communicate under pressure? I guess I'd say three things. Think about the audience. What do they want to hear? Think about what you want to ask of the audience or what you want to get out of the engagement. And then practice makes perfect, right? Be intentional about what you want to say and how you want to say it. Yes. 
I, I love that aspect about thinking about what both sides want out of it. That's, that's really powerful. Yeah. Bob, on behalf of uh, myself and all of our listeners, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time and insights. Thanks very much, Jay. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. While I'm happy I don't often have to engage in crisis communications, I certainly feel more prepared to communicate under trying circumstances after learning from today's guest. Sue gave us two simple formulas to gather our thoughts when creating these communications. The first came from the Greeks, ethos, logos, and pathos. The second was her CARE acronym to help us focus our messaging, clarity, authenticity, relevance, and engagement. And while there are often many moving parts during a crisis, Sue reminded us that communication is the glue that holds everything together. Lubab also shared a formula. Accelerating innovation plus discovering together equals realized opportunity. While Sue talked about preparing a crisis team before a crisis, Lubab spoke of setting up her team for what will change after the crisis communication. Similar to Sue's CARE acronym of keeping the audience engaged, Lubab said she achieves engagement by focusing on the relevance of the change and why it's important to the listener. I'll close with Sue's advice for engaging with these challenging moments. A crisis is an opportunity, and how we reflect on it and take advantage of the disruption determines how successfully we come out of it. On behalf of our amazing sponsor, Presentium, and executive producer, Rajat Mishra, thank you for listening to this episode of Think Deeply, Speak Simply. I'm your host, Jay Rook. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love it if you would rate and review the show. Until next time, think deeply and speak simply. Thank you for listening to another episode of Think Deeply, Speak Simply. To learn more about the art and science of communicating ideas, visit our thought leadership library at presentium.com.